Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Skiff Podcast, Skiff's weekly conversations on the trend lines shaping global travel. This podcast is sponsored by MasterCard, one of the world's leading technology companies. MasterCard and Skift have recently announced Future Cities, an exploration of how major destinations are preparing for the new age of urban mobility. From connected infrastructure to smart technologies, this upcoming series examines how global cities are creating seamless and personalized experiences for visitors and residents. Learn more about the project at futurecities.skift.com and join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag SkiftFutureCities. I'm Samantha Shankman, and this week I'm joined by Skift founder and CEO Rafat Ali. Thank you, Sam. We are very excited to start the podcast, and thank you for all the hard work you've done so far. So, two reasons why we started the podcast. Uh, one, we looked very long and hard to find a travel podcast that we would like to listen to every week, but we couldn't really find any, so we decided to start our own. The second reason is beyond the daily headlines, news analysis reports that we do, we wanted to really have a creative discussion on the trend lines in travel, whether it was about the business of travel, the inspirational part of travel, travelers and their motivations, the effect of travel on the world, the effect of world on travel, the philosophy and psychology of travel. In other words, we wanted to have these creative and interesting and fascinating discussions on travel, and we hope that when you listen, you would also think so. Thanks, Rafat. Today, we'll be discussing the appeal of mass tourist attractions, such as Times Square in New York, Las Ramblas in Barcelona, or the Notre Dame in Paris, in the age of experiential travel. More than 1.1 billion tourists traveled abroad in 2014. But at times, it can feel like they've all convened in these cliched tourist epicenters. Most travelers today are discerning enough to know that these manufactured spaces filled with glaring ads, mass-produced souvenirs, and meals sold for triple their actual cost are not true representations of local life. These fabricated cultural centers are often devoid of the local community's independent shops and outdoor spaces that travelers are increasingly seeking and accessing via apps in the sharing economy. But still, they persist, packed day in and day out with photo-snapping tourists and tour operators selling overpriced tickets. We want to know why. What keeps tourists coming back to these iconic yet cliched attractions? Is it fear of missing out? A desire to see something with their own eyes? Or how welcoming these spaces can be to visitors in an unfamiliar place? To answer these questions today, we're speaking with Fred Dixon, the CEO of NYC & Company, the tourism marketing organization for New York. Also with us is Peggy Vale, an anthropologist at NYU and filmmaker who has explored the relationship between tourism and sustainability through her documentary, Gringo Trails. Welcome, Fred. Welcome, Peggy. We're so glad to have you with us today. Thank you for being a part of our inaugural podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, Fred, let's start with a question for you. It's become easier than ever to explore local neighborhoods and New York's other boroughs like Queens and Brooklyn have seen an increase in visitation. What is the continuing draw of a manufactured cultural center like Times Square given all these changes? 
I think that's a great question and a really good place to start. You know, for me, in thinking about this topic, I mean, tourism is a pedestrian activity, largely, especially in an urban destination like New York. And Times Square, uh, you know, is so iconically um, embedded in everyone's psyche. Um, as the sort of the beginning spot of New York City. You know, you think about all the television shows that are taped there. You think about New Year's Eve in Times Square. You think about the iconic World War II photo of the kiss in Times Square. I mean, it has so much draw and appeal in people's minds that it's a great place for them to start. It is, in essence, our town square. So when you travel, you want to go to the epicenter, sort of the beginning of the experience. And for many people, I think that's Times Square. I think that always will be. But it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves as people go and explore further afield. And that's what we're encouraging them to do of course but uh, Times Square is a magnet and it just continues to pull on people do you think the draw of Times Square will be diminished at all as people begin to explore these uh, other destinations around New York City more uh, I th that's a great question and you know it's interesting I started my career in New York in Times Square and um, and I live not too far from there so many nights I walk through there at home and as tourism has grown in New York exponentially over the last decade Times Square just seems to become more popular so I think it actually is the opposite I think that as more tourists come to New York especially first timers um, they find themselves in Times Square the proximity of the theater district as well um, is a reason for many people to go there so you have iconic attractions you have more than 18,000 hotel rooms in the district so there already is a built-in base of people that are going to go there automatically but I think it will continue to be a draw. Peggy you've explored this quite a bit um, the tension between tourism mass tourism and then the local economies and what the locals think about it how do you see when you look at a place like Times Square and its place in the ecosystem of the daily New Yorkers. Do you think they um, value it, understand it from your vantage point of view? I think <clears throat> I think that that's a great question, and um, I, I want to talk about that and also um, tag on a little bit to what uh, to what you were talking about before about having Times Square being embedded in our psyches, and that's so true from all the media that we've seen, whether it's news programs or, of course, all the countless movies that have taken place in Times Square. But I think it's also I think it's partly because it's a shared imaginary. So it's an iconic status, but it's shared between the world's imaginary because we've all seen this place. So many of us have, seen, have like across the world have seen this and it become an icon for others as well globally. So, so it's not only the center in some ways, the town square of, um, of New York, but in the town square of the world in some ways of our shared imaginary. And then thinking about that difference between the locals and the tourists, I think in terms of planning for the future, for instance, we need to look at both. The numbers have increased so dramatically with tourism growth. It's the number one or top three, depending on who you talk to, <laughs> industry in the world that I really believe that um, we have to deal with both locals and tourists on the same level in any place that we're looking at that has this kind of status, um, you know, second largest traveled to place in the world. And, um, and increasingly that's happening. I think for locals, you know, unlike the tourists that go as first time visitors, for sure, almost all of them, it's like the safari checklist. They have to see the big five. That's part of their big five. Um, and they feel disappointed if they don't go to Times Square. The repeat visitor, it's a little different. You know, they'll go for different reasons. Um, sometimes locals get, a, I think, a little bit uh, disturbed by the crowds that are happening in Times Square, um, rightly so, because there it is just so it's kind of like mayhem. I mean, it gets so crowded sometimes the sensory overload can be dramatic for, for people that are living there. 
On the other hand, that's part of the draw <laughs> for a lot of people to come here. So possibly in the future, there might be some issues with crowd capacity, and that might be something the city could could creatively be challenged by, and, and it's an opportunity in some ways to kind of how, think through some of those issues. Um, but I, but I also think that there are some an, great and creative initiatives that are happening, say, artistically. So right now there's a show um, that happens at 11.57 every night, Midnight, the Midnight Shows, that uh, currently is featuring Peggy Atwash from 11, she's a filmmaker that created this um, kind of internal energy explosion that shows up at 11.57 every night in April to midnight. And so that's one of the artists that's been commissioned to, to create. And this is happening in... This is happening in Times Square. On, so you'll see it across, you know, all these. So instead of the external lights that are happening and all that creative, or rather all that energy from the city, you're also seeing then this internal you know, energy from the bodies that are being projected through the sensory camera that she used, um, which, which is which is very interesting. So I think it's engaging with if you're engaging with local artists creating works for um, for that space, then you're also creating you know you're creating and working with the local community on that level. So you're going to get visitation then, you know, possibly from people that are living here that want to see that too. You know, aside from just the external tourists coming in. So Fred, the the what I think. The point of that is, if all this energy is concentrated in Times Square, is is that an opportunity for you to then highlight other parts of New York while people are in those type of attractions to then push them out to the places that you would want them to go to beyond just the iconic parts of? Absolutely, of the city? absolutely, and that in fact is is our strategy, and, and we're going to be putting in place some new tactics this summer to um, engage tourists even further in Times Square, encouraging them to go afield. I was down there last summer with uh, some of our street teams and uh, just watching the activity and seeing the behavior of the tourists. And it was so interesting. There were tourists from abroad that were just coming out of the subway and they were just were looking around. You know, to your point, Peggy, about the energy, you know, New York, um, Times Square tends to be sort of the heartbeat. You know, when you when you think about New York, you think about energy and you think about feeling that rush and there's no place really to feel it like Times Square. So I think people go to experience that. And then to your point, they're looking to go further afield. So when we engage these tourists coming out of the subway um, and they approached us, they realized we were the information folks. Um, they walked up and they said, we just got here. Where do we go? You know, and so they came there to start their adventure. You know, they knew they knew Times Square um, to the point earlier that that was that was sort of the, the town square. That was the epicenter of the energy. They wanted to come and see it, to feel it. And then look, we're looking to go from there. So in that sense, it's the center of the compass. So we are looking this summer to engage visitors. Um, we have, uh, as you know, with NYC and company, we have a five borough um, programming. So our goal is to really engage visitors and encourage them to go a further afield into neighborhoods and boroughs, obviously beyond Midtown. But that's exactly um, the idea. What would that look like? Uh, is it through having people from these different boroughs come into Times Square? Is it through, you know, creative artists or art kind of exhibitions? How do you raise awareness once people are in Times Square? I love the art exhibition idea. We actually haven't explored that, but I'll, I'll take that back. We're really focusing right now on a digital strategy. So we're going to have some announcements. We'll certainly share them first with Skift later this year about a new virtual visitor center experience for New York. Uh, you know, it's such a dense urban environment and it can be daunting for people. I think that's one of the appeals of Times Square too, is the crossroads of the world, as they call it. People know where it is. And so it's an easy uh, starting point, but we want to make sure that they're able to go beyond that. 
there's some new Wi-Fi technology that's coming to the streets of New York later this year that we're going to be utilizing um, to make that navigation and that exploration even easier. So we're excited about that. It's still in development, so I don't have a lot of details right now. But but we really feel that there is an opportunity for new technology and new approaches to help people explore. Speaking of technology, do you think that either of you can tackle this, the, the rise of sort of selfie culture, if you will, has probably um, enhanced the appeal of these iconic places because people want to be seen in these places sharing these photos or videos, all that stuff. So do you think that has a part in playing up um, these kind of attractions? I think I think that's a great question, and I, 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 you know, will increasingly see what's happening with that. But I do believe that people, no matter what, they were taking pictures before they were sharing them. Um, they just want to take the picture in that place because that's a place that they recognize having seen, and they're all of a sudden in it. And then they get to share that with their friends and family back home, who also know that place because they've seen that place and it's recognizable. So I think it, it will it will spread the word faster to their family and friends at home. Um, I, you know, I think it's just the, the next form of how they're sharing it. So I'm not sure if that's in, going to increase tourism, you know, if that's going to, you know, cause an increase in tourism because of the selfies. Um, but I do think you'll see even more of the iconic images happening because 8 million people will be, <laughs> will be sharing these pictures. I, I think it, I think it will in, increase. I think that, you know, selfies, the selfie culture, interestingly enough, um, is probably going to spawn even more tourism. I mean, the the need to self-promote in a sense, um, but also the, the the draw that it has for people. Last week, we were on a trade mission in Italy and France, and I got a chance one afternoon to go on a run, and, and I went by the Vatican, and I have never seen so many selfie sticks in my entire life. Europe is overwhelmed with selfie sticks right now. It hasn't come to our shores as much as it is over there. It's going to be interesting to see if we see more selfie sticks on the streets of New York, but I couldn't go anywhere in Rome without someone trying to sell me one. And it was it was interesting because the effect that it had on the on the tourists, it was definitely encouraging more selfies, um, and they were looking to do them in more iconic places. And as much as I travel, um, I still take some. When I'm texting my nieces back home, I sent pictures of myself at the Vatican and and on a run with the Eiffel Tower in the background. I just I didn't I don't know why I did it, but I just did it. And I think that that sort of speaks to that uh, part of our psyche that you recognize sort of iconic places around the world. Times Square is certainly one of those. And for whatever reason, no matter how many times you've been there, um, the need to self-identify and to, and to identify the location that you're in is, is somewhat irresistible. I think of it as a digital version of saying I was here and then being able to broadcast it to everyone you've ever known. That's it, exactly. Well, well I have a radical proposition for people <laughs> to, to um, beyond the selfie, I wonder if we'll start interacting again and asking people to take our photographs. <laughs> Like they used to do. <laughs> yeah, that that's would be nice. Part, if you will. That's actually a very good point. Yeah. Obviously, Times Square and these centers are going to continue being very popular. Is there ever um, a risk of overcrowding? I mean, New York City just had its record record year of tourism with fifty six point four million tourists. Um, at what point do you, is there ever a risk of travelers kind of taking over these spaces, leaving no room for locals? I think, I mean, at this point, we're over 1 billion people even on the road, you know, and you, when you're thinking we're getting a quarter of a million people in New York City per day, that's tremendous number, you know, within that 1 million, 1 billion on the road, and by 2027, we'll be 2 billion on the road. So it's going to, the numbers are going to increase no matter what, everywhere, and so the places that are the most traveled to, obviously, will be um, 
will be there will be crowding issues. But you know, there are a number of uh, films that have been dealing with this, and, and Skift actually um, had an article that was was talking about some of these films, like the Venice Syndrome, for instance, talking about the overcrowding in Venice due to tourism. You know, Barcelona has Bye Bye Barcelona and and Welcome Goodbye Berlin. These are a number of films that are dealing with this, and so I, I think there's obviously the issues are being brought up to the surface. So that's where that 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 challenge, that creative opportunity um, of how do we deal with those increasing crowds are going to start to happen. I think we probably need to think about them sooner than later because it's just going to increase so fast. <laughs> I agree, and, and from a destination marketing standpoint, I mean we. We feel that the opportunity to push travelers to other parts of the city it could be one of the remedies. And we know they're always going to go to Times Square. Um, and there are now more reasons to go to Times Square throughout the day. You know, and a lot of attractions are staying open later at night. So hopefully that, you know, the idea would be that some of that demand will be spread out. Um, and, and I think as people repeat visit in New York, they, they repeat quite High, there's quite a high repeat factor here. Um, people will, would probably be going less. It's just as a matter of regular behavior. How many of the tourists that come to New York, international tourists, for instance, or even locals, are the first timers? Is there like a ratio you have? In it, it, it varies by um, domestic versus international, but um, 40% of the domestic market typically are first timers at any, on any given day. Um, it, that's a, it's a higher ratio internationally, but we're beginning to see that change um, as people travel more. To Peggy's point, more people are, are revisiting the same destinations over and over. Destinations like New York and Rome and Paris, the iconic destinations, tend to have a higher repeat factor, whether it be for business or for pleasure. Um, so. I think that as we go forward, you know, we're hoping to achieve some balance um, in people coming to the, to the icons, but also then exploring further afield. You know, as downtown New York, for example, Lower Manhattan becomes more developed, uh, and it's remarkable and what is happening. New icons there. come into place, and new icons come into place. Um, exactly, I think that that some of that demand will be spread. Yeah, I see. I've seen a lot of people now coming to my neighborhood of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which um, I've lived in since 1991 in the same apartment. <laughs> and we've seen such a tremendous increase um, in the number of tourists coming through in tour groups and so forth. And now I'm one of the locals being looked at. <laughs> we're all, you know, we're participating in that. Um, so we think about it a little bit more now because now we do see we do see more people coming through. But I think it's also great. You know, the, like you said, they're they're traveling to other areas and seeing, you know, the interest in the history and the layers of history, like the layers of history in Times Square, which are, as we know, rich uh, and, and have so many different areas of our lives in New York City incorporated in Times Square. <laughs> that's true. You know, and you look at some of the new modes of transportation. I mean, you look at the bike share program, for example, that's here and in other cities around the country and the world. Um, you know, that is another opportunity to encourage exploration because you make transportation options more easily available and, um, and more interesting. And people will, they will explore. That's an interesting question. Uh, the point you made, Fred, about uh, the the changing the transport nature of the city and making it more uh, one public transport, second more you know slower modes of transport, whether it's cycling or you know making it easier for people to walk. How does that change the nature of the city from a tourism perspective? Whether yeah, I, th I think I think it, it changes it a lot, actually. I mean, I think there's a real need um, going forward in the travel industry to create more destinations within a destination, um, just to this very point. Um, as travel increases, as the number of people on the road increases, uh, the need to spread them out 
um, both from an economic standpoint, because you want to fill your shoulder seasons, but also just from a pure demand perspective, I think it's going to be really important to focus on new destinations. In Barcelona, for example, the Rambla is, you know, one of the most popular sites, but they're beginning to develop new locations, whether it be the beach or other areas of the city. Same thing here in New York. You know, I mentioned lower Manhattan as a new draw, but Williamsburg, um, you know, the South Bronx is beginning to emerge as Long a destination. Long Island City, where mm-hmm. I live. Long Island yeah. City is, is a great Queens spot. Is, uh, Queens is really, yeah. Queens yeah, is hot. We've also invested <laughs> Queens is hot. It's yeah. Lonely Planet named it the top destination yeah. last year. And we've invested a lot in our parks as well. So you have new park spaces. I mean, Brooklyn Bridge Park is spectacular. Governor's Island is spectacular. The Hudson River Park is spectacular. So these are not only biking destinations, but they're also pedestrian, pedestrian destinations. And, and there are great attractions and hotels now in many of those locations. So And a lot of the that, ferries, too. Like a lot now of the ferries. I mean, the, the, um, the ferry going through the, either the Hudson or East River Ferry, it's really wonderful because you can, you know, from Williamsburg, you, for instance, you can go to Dumbo, you know, also in Brooklyn, go across to Lower Manhattan and Upper Manhattan. So it's it's really opening up the opportunities. Yeah. All these different transport means, for sure. Absolutely. It's all about the options, I think, yep. and, and marketing them and, and making sure that visitors have, have many destinations to choose from. Mm-hmm. Something about these green spaces, though, is that they're so uh, incredible and beneficial to both the tourists and also the locals. Is there Do cities have a responsibility, whether it's Paris or Barcelona or New York, to make um, these kind of cultural centers like Times Square, Las Ramblas, as useful to locals as they are to tourists? Or is it okay if their sole functionality is to serve as this crossroads for tourists or this home base for tourists? Well, people live there. So I feel like going back to uh, what I was talking about earlier is I think it has to be for both, especially if they are these destinations that have been long visited already. And so you know that that's a tourist destination. But I think they definitely have to address um, both both angles on that, both the tourists and the and the locals. I think um, so too. It, think because so it's too. a win-win then, because everybody benefits. And if, I, and if you have an industry where everybody benefits, then that's only, that'll only be for the good. <laughs> I think that's part of the magic as well in these, in these uh, destinations is that they are mixed use. So I mean, Times Square is a great example of a renaissance that happened not just for visitors, but for the business community, you know, the enormous amount of investment that was uh, that was put into Times Square by the corporate uh, community, whether it be, you know, moving headquarters there or whether it be, you know, uh, the, the building of residential areas that are popular with, with, with the corporate community, but also with with uh, residents and other fields. So it, it is a it is a bit of a recipe. I think that you have to maintain. If it's just for tourists, it lacks the real genuine spirit. Um, and Times Square, I think, as much as anywhere, represents that sort of heartbeat. Just not not just for the visitors, but for the New Yorkers as well. We all recognize it and feel it. It's interesting because I think um, this is where looking at, say, for instance, Venice. What's happening in Venice? It is actually going more towards uh, tourism than it is towards the locals. It's, uh, at least that was evident in um, a couple of the films that I've seen about what's happening there, and I've been there myself. Um, and seeing that tipping over more towards tourism, that it becomes, you know, you know, you have to be careful of a museumization of a location, and and a number of locals are expressing concerns there, and so they're trying to address that. But I think um, addressing it sooner than later, obviously, um, is always beneficial. Museumization of an experience—that's a great line. Um, when you look at a place like Highline, where it was, you know unused and then the city reclaimed it and then made it into a extremely popular tourist attraction and that model is now being taken by different cities around the world it's actually being taken by our city and being used in different parts of of the city as well Um, as you think about developing these new iconic locations if you will 
how much of the thought today is about sort of channeling what's there and making it into something as 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 the city did with Highline. Yeah, and the Highline's a great example, I think, of, of an underutilized asset or a non-used asset, actually. In, in the case of the Highline, it was it was uh, really abandoned. Uh, and because it was up in the air, no one really paid attention to it too much. Uh, but I think, it, I think it is important. I mean, the Highline, uh, and much like Times Square, both have been economic engines for those, for those neighborhoods. Um, the Highline now is, you know, is anchoring what has become the largest art gallery community in the world. Um, the Whitney Museum is just relocated to the base of it. And you have an incredible entertainment district there. Now the north end of the Highland is connecting to the Hudson Yard. So it, it has become a conduit to, to connect neighborhoods, to connect ideas. Um, and now these economic engines, which the Hudson Yard certainly is, and the Meatpacking District is, and now the Chelsea Art District. So I think that, um, you know, it's, it's smart when uh, we as either destination marketers or as city planners look at these opportunities as catalysts to develop new areas. I mean, the, the industrial area where you live or fought in Long Island City is, is another great example of, of that kind of development. You have a great cultural community there, but you also now have hotels and you have great parks um, and it's a great residential area. So there's something to be said about, I think, um, destinations within a destination as not only tourism magnets, but economic engines to improve the lives of of New Yorkers first, really, um, but then but then also enhance the visitor experience. You can you can maintain both. And for me, it's really about that balance. I totally agree. Yep. What about cost? Does that play any part um, in the attraction of these public spaces, whether it's Times Square or the parks, um, in terms of, you know, these are places where tourists can go and spend a limitless amount of time without necessarily having to spend any money? That's an interesting question. I think that, you know, New York, and we do talk about it a lot, you know, people oftentimes will say New York is an expensive destination. And it's all about really, what are you comparing it to? Um, New York is one of the cities where you can have incredible free experiences. I mean, just walking the streets of New York, and, it, and most tourists will tell you that is part of, of what they value about their time here. People watching. People watching. So, you can do it here better than experience. you can anywhere, and it's free. And Times Square is a great place to do that. Um, so I think there's always an element of free activity that's important for any destination. I mean, look, they're going to spend money. You know, last year in New York, it was uh, $61 billion of economic activity from tourism. So we're not too concerned about, about the loss of wallet use um, with Times Square. But uh, it, because I think it's an important blend. You know, I mean, same thing with Central Park. People go and spend time there. And um, it's again, it's uh, it's all about balancing that experience. It's interesting, though, <clears throat> excuse me, it's interesting to think about um, it, kind of in the way that we think when we're traveling to, say, developing nations, where if you spend local, that's better for the community, obviously. So if you're thinking about maybe going into different areas of the city that have have been economically challenged, that's a way that could be um, to really promote, say, a destination and thinking about spending local, that that's actually going to improve the economy. It's a great point. It's a great way to spend to spread tourism in a way that, or to rather create destinations in a way that's planned ahead that can also benefit the local community economically. Absolutely. That, that you know, because Times Square doesn't need it quite as much in the same way as perhaps a, a neighborhood, you know, in the South Bronx um, or elsewhere that, that has had some economic challenges. Amazing. And Peggy, as an anthropologist, when you think about these, um, these tourists going into, you know, bro more areas of a city and kind of maybe parts of them becoming a little bit more like Times Square. Does that raise any concerns for the future? Only in the sense, I think in the sense that um, homogenization of, of any experience um, is, is something to be mindful of. So that's why this idea 
if these are destinations and other boroughs that are going to be new destinations or that are growing destinations, or the fact that the High Line became a destination or was created in some ways, um, these are these are these are possibilities that we couldn't do 20 years ago at Times Square or now. I mean, you can plan you can plan ahead now. So there are ways to kind of get everybody involved, maybe in that community. You know, from the the locals that are living there to the local businesses ask some tourists, you know, what they're looking to see. I'm, and, and that's where getting everybody at the table in the same way we might do in a foreign destination um, could be beneficial and could be interesting, I think. Just to add on to that, I think one of the important elements for that kind of thinking for, for future development is the authenticity of the experience, too. I, I agree. Homogenization is a big concern. Um, you and know, it's so what New York isn't. And it's so it's what <laughs> right? New York isn't. It's like the, so it's what we draw it's the as the New York. too. <laughs> so we want to make sure that it, things don't go that way. Um, but when you think about, um, you know, investing in the High Line or you think about investing in Brooklyn Bridge Park, um, those are unique, one-of-a-kind experiences. Um, and they don't offer much opportunity for, for homogenization. Um, they really appeal to the environment that they're in. Um, they're unique to their setting, um, and they stay true to the experience of, of what it was designed for. So I think that is a, a very important element of development that we have to keep in mind going forward. Very interesting. Well, we're about wrapping up now. So I just want to ask, is there anything that we haven't touched on about this topic that you guys have been thinking about or working on that you'd like to touch on? No, it was actually, I was, um, I was kind of just polling people recently, you know, when I knew we were going to do this podcast and thinking about well, what are the reasons you go here or even looking online, doing a little searching and run a trip advisor, you know, people mentioned just because it's recognizable. I mean, that was one of the main reasons. It's recognizable. It's um, somebody else was talking about um, it's the only place they've seen, you know, they've seen that more than any other place in Times Square has been, like whether it's the ball dropping or the count, you know, like as we mentioned, the countless movies that have taken place here, both during the, the seedier days to, to today, to the galactic wars that happened, to, to about just about everything that has happened in Times Square. Um, and it's still standing. <laughs> Um, so I, I, you know, and a couple of other people, one of my colleagues um, who has a lot of visitors coming in from India, her family, and they often say it's the lights, you know, they, they love the lights, you know, and that kind of 24 hourness nature of, um, of Times Square. So I was just thinking, you know, really what, th thinking more about those motivations of the draw um, of what that iconic status is. I think people forget the appeal of the 24 hour nature yeah. of the city, which in a lot of other cities, if you, you lived get. anywhere else, LA, I've yeah. lived in. Um, you know, these places shut down after like 10, 11 in the night, at least the streets do, certainly. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's fascinating. It's at its most, as it says. It's, it's all the time. <laughs> and it's rare to find Times Square quiet. You know, I mean, yeah. there, there's always something going on or people milling about. And Except in Vanilla Sky, I think that movie. That's true. <laughs> it was like quiet yeah. in one scene. You're like, wow. Wow, right, freaky. <laughs> um, but, and, and the d development that's happening there in terms of the, um, the, the new infrastructure. So the new pavers on the street and the new street furniture um, are just going to make it all the more attractive. We're so excited for that to come online later this year. It's just going to make it more... Uh, even I think even a more beautiful experience and just to your question and just wrapping up um, I, when we think about Times Square you know and I think about it a lot because you know we use it so much um, for imagery for New York but also when we are working with visiting journalists or television shows I mean for example the Today Show from Australia comes here every year um, they always want to film from there you know it, to your point of I've I was here you know there's no better place than Times Square and in many ways for the city it is our retail storefront you know, it is it is one of the few locations in the world that is broadcast all the time, whether it be a morning television show. I mean, you look at every major news broadcast at some point or another, they're going to show a live shot from Times Square. It's the shared imagination. It, and I it's love a, it's that a, thought. We really are experiencing it together globally 
as kind of global citizens of the world. It's it's the one. There aren't many things that are shared between um, between the world, you know, among the world's citizens, and and this is one of those. It images. absolutely is, and everyone feels like they they know it. So it's a little bit theirs. So and it's so that makes it unique as a crossroads of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, all great topics and points. So thank you so much for joining us today, and we're excited to you know see how all of these different centers evolve. It's great. Thank great. you for having thank us. Thank you. Thank you.